It's our first anniversary, so we're celebrating by playing you some of our greatest hits on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Last episode, we played clips from the first half of the year. Today's episode is part two, clips from the second half of the year. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 260 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Friday, October 14th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, we're celebrating the first anniversary of our first episode of the Doc Washburn Show. Again, on our last episode, we played you some of our greatest hits from the first six months today. We're playing greatest hits from the second half of our year. Now, episode 176 asks the question, is it possible to show criminal malfeasance of the vaccine makers in less than five minutes? And here's a clip from that episode. Remember when back in 2020, uh, there are a couple of doctors from uh, the Bakersfield area Dan Erickson and Artin Masihi, a couple of ER doctors who calmly explained that your immune system needs regular exposure to germs to function properly, distancing, lockdowns, and sterilizing everything puts you at more risk. You remember that? How they got banished from, uh, from social media? I remember. Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, the guy who probably has a lot more to do with running this country than Biden ever will because Biden has dementia. He's out there bragging that we're the only country in the world to give the vaccine to babies. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think we're doing that? I have some ideas. But wait, there's more. Again, FDA, Dr. Peter Marks, caught on video saying that kids have a five-fold chance of getting myocarditis if they're vaccinated. He doesn't have a problem with that. Here he is. Um, Just about the reported incidence and the baseline rate of myocarditis prior to vaccination, is is there any data that you have on that? Yes. So, so there are the, the data. The, there are data on uh, the incidence of myocarditis in this age range, um, and uh, I can pull that out. But um, uh, there, there, this is this is a known phenomena in the twelve to seventeen year old age range, right. and. 
and the 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 rate that it was seen in uh, uh, in the um, in the twelve to seventeen year olds who were vaccinated seemed to be about fivefold higher than the baseline rate. That's all I need to know. There need to be Nuremberg trials. People need to go to prison for the rest of their lives. Don't tell me this is not intentional. Don't tell me this is not intentional. They know. They're admitting they know. And they're like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it is what they're saying to us. All right. If you want to hear the rest of that, just check out episode 176 at DocWashburn.com or wherever you already get to get podcasts. Episode 176. June 24th, 2022, was an amazing day in the USA. Here is how I opened the show that day. Finally, after all these years, Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What a day of celebration. That was. Yes, indeed. Episode 181 was all about Roe v. Wade being overturned. Now, when Roe was overturned, I knew I would need to reach out to Reverend Joseph Foreman. He's a veteran Christian pro-life leader and one of the founders of the Operation Rescue Movement some 35 years ago. Here's a little bit of what Reverend Foreman had to say. So many people in America are geared to think that the laws of the state and the laws of the government are somehow equivalent, excuse me, to the laws of God, that uh, removing Roe is almost like the state giving permission for us to obey God. Um, and, and I know that from my perspective, that's a ludicrous position, but that I think really is the position that most Christians hold. Um, and I mean, big name Christians, it just seems to be a universal thing that the law is the law and you have to obey it. Uh, even if it means protecting the murder of children, having this court decision struck, struck down. Um, and as you know, a Supreme court case is not law at all. Um, it's, it's merely a ruling. And, um, uh, but, but at any rate, having it struck down is, has been, I think will be a, a great step forward. Now, have you ever heard anyone talk like that before? You want to hear more? You can hear my whole interview with Reverend Joseph Foreman, episode 183. Now, on July 15th, we found out Dr. Fauci was never actually the person who was actually in charge of the federal government's COVID response. It was always Dr. Deborah Burks, and she was always trying to bring our country to a grinding halt. Now, here's a clip. From that day, as we continue our greatest hits of our first year, for all the things she loathes the most, things like human rights, democratic governance, and most of all, freedom. 
Deborah Burks lists Scott Atlas's so-called dangerous assertions. The next quote from her book, she says, that schools could open anywhere without any precautions, neither masking nor testing, regardless of the status of the spread in the community. That children did not transmit the virus. That children didn't get ill. That there was no risk to anyone young. That long COVID-19 was being overplayed. That heart damage findings were incidental. That comorbidities did not play a critical role in communities, especially among teachers. That merely employing some physical distance overcame the virus's ill effects. That masks were overrated and not needed. That the coronavirus task force had gotten the country into this situation by promoting testing. That testing falsely increased case counts in the United States in comparison with other countries. That targeted testing and isolation constituted a lockdown, plain and simple, and weren't needed. Michael P. Singer says that every word of Atlas's assertions was obviously 100% true, only made them all the more dangerous to Deborah Burks. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said, one word of truth shall outweigh the whole world, and nothing would derail the world's communist destiny faster than letting those self-evident truths spread freely. Again, quoting for Deborah Burks's book, she says, in particular, CNN's Sanjay Gupta was a key component of my strategy. He specifically spoke about a mild disease, another way to describe silent spread. I saw this as a sign that he got it. As a doctor himself, he could see what I was seeing. He could serve as a very good outside government spokesman, echoing my message that family members and others they were in close contact with could unknowingly bring the virus home, resulting in a catastrophic and deadly event. Again, Michael P. Singer says, Deborah Burks frequently emphasizes her fixation with the concept of asymptomatic spread. In her mind, the less sick a person is, the more insidious that person is. Quoting again from Deborah Burks's book, Asymptomatic, presymptomatic, and even mildly symptomatic spread are particularly insidious because with these, many people don't know they're infected. They may not take precautions or may not practice good hygiene, and they don't isolate. Michael P. Singer says, as Scott Atlas recalls in his own book, A Plague Upon Our House, Burks commented on the importance of testing asymptomatic people. She argued that the only way to figure out who was sick was to test them. She memorably exclaimed, that's why it's so dangerous. People don't even know they're sick. I felt myself looking around the room, wondering if I was the only one who had heard this. Michael P. Singer says, Burks spends roughly the next 150 pages of her book recalling her anguish as Dr. Scott Atlas thwarted her plans to keep America in a near permanent state of lockdown. As Atlas recalls in his book, she threw a fit right there in front of everyone. As we stood near the door before leaving the Oval Office, she was furious, screaming at me, never do that again, and in the Oval. I felt pretty bad because she was so angry. I had absolutely no desire for conflict, 
But did she actually expect me to lie to the president just to cover up for her? I responded, sorry, but he asked me a question, so I answered it. All right. If you want to hear more about how one woman did her level best to try to destroy our country, that one woman being Dr. Deborah Burks, and there is a lot more, check out episodes 194 and 196. Now, Ray Epps is one of the very visible people from the January 6th altercation at the U.S. Capitol who has not been indicted. So we all believe, of course, that he is a Fed. In episode 197, I discussed new developments in the case of Ray Epps. As soon as President Trump is finished speaking, we are going to the Capitol. It's that direction. That's where our true problems lie. President Trump is done speaking. We are going to the Capitol. That's where our problems are. Hey, folks, we need your help. As soon as President Trump stops speaking, we are going to the Capitol. The Capitol is in that direction. Let people know. Spread the word. Revolver.news says, getting back to the New York Times piece is also important to note that the piece contains no explicit denial by Ray Epps of association with military intelligence, Homeland Security, Joint Terrorism Task Force, or any cutouts or intermediaries. We have references to, quote, lies, unquote, and Epps wish that, quote, the truth come out, quote, unquote, in addition to denial of association with law enforcement. But not military intelligence, not Homeland Security, not Joint Terrorism Task Force or any of their cutouts or intermediaries. Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, says, I wonder if the author of the New York Times piece, Alan Fewer, could clarify for the record, did he ask Ray Epps if he had any association with any intelligence agencies or cutouts of such agencies? If so, what did he say? If not, why not? Why didn't you ask him? Alan Fewer's New York Times piece describes Ray Epps as a Trump supporter. He says, quote, Epps traveled to Washington to back Mr. Trump, unquote, and that he, quote, took a last minute trip to Washington for Trump's speech about election fraud, unquote. Here's another excerpt. Mr. Epps said that he had acted stupidly at times when he and one of his sons took a last minute trip to Washington for Mr. Trump's speech about election fraud. Again, Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, says the only problem is Ray Epps didn't go to Trump's speech. That's right. This alleged Trump supporter traveled all the way from Arizona to D.C. and didn't even attend Trump's speech. Instead, he spent the evening of January 5th and the morning of January 6th telling people to go into the Capitol. Did Alan Fewer, the obscure New York Times reporter who penned the puff piece on Ray Epps, think to ask so-called Trump supporter Ray Epps why he traveled all the way to Washington, D.C. and then skipped Trump's speech? For that matter, did Alan Fewer ask where Epps got the idea to urge people to go into the Capitol in the first place? Did it occur to Ray Epps out of the blue? Did someone else give Ray Epps the idea? If so, who? The whole purpose of the January 6th committee is supposed to be to figure out what caused the events of January 6th. Ray Epps was calling for people to go into the Capitol the evening before. 
Wouldn't it be newsworthy to know where Ray Epps got the idea and why he was so doggedly fixated on that particular mission? The very fact that these questions were not asked indicates that this is one of the sloppiest and most transparent cover-up jobs in New York Times history. A total fewer job. F-E-U-E-R, Alan Fewer. New York Times piece attempts to wave off Ray Epps' January 6th participation as negligible, similar to those who committed minor offenses and weren't charged. Here's another excerpt. While Mr. Epps was a participant in some of the events that unfolded on January 6th, the claim that he inspired the Capitol riot in a false flag plot is solely based on the fact that he has never been arrested and therefore must be under the protection of the government. But scores, if not hundreds of people, who appear to have committed minor crimes that day were investigated by the FBI, but have not been charged or taken into custody. But Revolver.News says, yet Ray Epps is the key person caught on video with an advance plan to go into the Capitol. He's there the morning of January 6th, directing people to the Capitol, and he's right up at the barricade during the initial breach, after which he rushes into the restricted area. Note that many others, including Jeremy Brown, Owen Schroyer, Mark Ibrahim, Cooey Griffin, have been hit with trespassing charges for doing exactly that. But Ray Epps isn't open to just a trespassing charge. Not enough has been said about the significance of the following video. Note Ray Epps' message, when we go in, leave this here. All right, if you want to hear more about the mysterious Ray Epps, And why, oh why, this guy who was trying to get things stirred up on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol has not been indicted? You really need to check out episode 197 of the Doc Washburn Show, either at docwashburn.com or anywhere you get podcasts. All right, next we have a clip from a former Trump administration official, a fellow named uh, William Wolfe talking about how Christians are being persecuted right here in the good old USA. Kelvin Cochran is a wonderful man of faith who, you know, was, like you said, the fire chief in Atlanta and exercising his freedom of religion. He sought to have a Bible study um, that nobody was compelled to go to. It wasn't required that anybody attend his Bible study or participate in the materials that he was being, that were being provided at the Bible study. But uh, for those who did participate, the materials that were provided uh, taught basic things of, you know, about Christian beliefs on sexual morality, historic Orthodox Christian beliefs, but that offended people. And so uh, in the offense, they sought to, uh, you know, claim that he was being discriminatory against homosexuals. Initially, uh, he was suspended for 30 days without pay and he was ordered to undergo sensitivity training. Uh, Then an investigation revealed he actually hadn't discriminated against anyone, but even at the end of his suspension, he was still fired. So uh, ultimately he sued and in 2018, the city of Atlanta 
actually paid him a settlement of $1.2 million in the wake of a federal court ruling. But again here, Doc, what we see is that as soon as that ball starts rolling down the hill, the beginning of the persecution, the claim that Christians are doing something they shouldn't be doing when all they're doing is acting in according to their faith and conscience, it, it creates this whole you know spiral of events in and out of courts, investigation, discovery, litigation, and it really consumes their life. And so you get to the other side of it, even if you get that court ruling, you can't ever get that time back. And so that, that's, that again, is a great example of persecution. And it also shows you how unserious, uh, I would say, that so many Democrats are about the advancement of minorities. They only want that when it's convenient for them. Kelvin Cochran is an African-American brother, fire chief, you know, one of the highest positions of civil service in Atlanta. And that didn't stop them from coming after him when he was saying things that they didn't like. Yeah, and it was actually the mayor of Atlanta, a guy named Kasim Reed, and I don't know if he, uh, you know, if he claims to be a, a Christian or not, but it was the mayor of Atlanta who fired the the chief of the Atlanta Fire Department, you know, because of Atlanta Fire Chief Kelvin Cochran's faith, and this I think foreshadows a different problem. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense to people who don't believe it. I mean, that's something that uh, our Lord warned us about. He said, you know, if they if they treat the master this way, uh, don't be surprised they treat the servants the same way. If you want to hear the rest of my interview with the great William Wolfe, it's easy. Just check out episode 205 of the Doc Washburn Show. Next, in our list of greatest hits, a clip from my interview with former Assistant U.S. Attorney General in the Trump administration, Jeff Clark, whose home was raided six and a half weeks before President Trump's home was raided by federal agents. So it looks like it's a one-way ratchet to get me to get President Trump but not a full and fair you know, discussion of, of what was done about election irregularities. And you, you know that, that uh, former AG Barr said, you know, look, I never saw any evidence of uh, you know, election irregularities at a magnitude that could have changed the outcome of the election. But there have been two witnesses who've come forward about that. One is uh, the U.S. attorney in Philadelphia, my hometown, uh, uh, Bill McSwain, he said that he had an election fraud case. He wanted to pursue it. He wanted to have a press conference, and that uh, Barr told him, uh, "No, don't uh, don't investigate it. Don't pursue it. Don't have a press conference. And anything you have, turn over to the Democrat AG uh, in Pennsylvania, which is like." A, and that guy had already pronounced that Trump was going to lose the election. So yeah. good luck for a fair investigation there. And then the second witness is a woman who was the White House liaison. Her name is Heidi. Stirrup. Um, she says that she met with Barr and Barr's chief of staff, Will Levy, and that uh, Barr basically said he wasn't doing investigations. She testified in a declaration that was filed in one of the January 6th cases, and she said that um, the, the rationale basically was 
well, A, it'll take too long. It'll take it into 2021 uh, and we don't have that time. And B, it's really something the state should do or, uh, you know, the campaign should do for, for Trump. And so, you know, there's some big inconsistencies between the claim that, you know, there was kind of a maximum effort to look at election irregularity uh, by those who've been uh, attacking me, savaging me in the, in the press and in, in public testimony and what some other witnesses have said. That is former assistant U.S. attorney general. He was over uh, actually two different divisions of DOJ for President Trump. Jeffrey Clark. He's a true patriot. If you want to hear the rest of the interview, check out episode 220 of the Doc Washburn Show. Now, Mike Davis was a law clerk for Justice Gorsuch. He was also chief counsel for nominations on the U.S. Senate Judicial Judiciary Committee. Pardon me. He helped Senator Chuck Grassley get a lot of federal judges confirmed for President Trump. When he came on the show, I asked Mike Davis about election fraud. And it went like this. I think millions of Americans are concerned that if the five or six swing states involved in rigging the election in 2020, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, possibly Nevada, don't strengthen their laws and processes against election fraud, we're in danger of possibly never even electing a Republican president again. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I was a Republican election lawyer, a volunteer Republican election lawyer when I lived in Colorado before I followed uh, Justice Gorsuch back out to D.C. And I was there for five election cycles when Colorado had all-mail ballots. And the way you have to stop election fraud and irregularities with all-mail ballots is you need to make sure you have signature verification and uh, election observers. Right. And what Democrats did with COVID is they used COVID as an excuse to illegally ignore election laws. They turned signature verification down to the point where it was meaningless, and then they threw out election observers. And so if, they, if you want to do that and then, and then uh, pretend like it's you know an attack on democracy for even questioning that, that's the problem, right? So what we need to do is... We need to get rid of this. We need to get rid of this idea that we're going to mail ballots to everyone on the list. If people people should show up on election day and vote, if they can't, that they should have to request a ballot. Yeah. And if you're not, uh, and you have to, and when you request a ballot, you need to prove that you're an American citizen and you're lawfully able to vote. You need to have signature verification. You need to have election observers and Republicans need to stop being wimps about this and being cowed on issues like, well, it's race to require a voter ID. That's nonsense. These same Democrats wanted people to have COVID IDs, COVID vaccine IDs, and and they know that that black Americans are disproportionately more vaccine averse than the rest of Americans, but they were going to do these COVID IDs in New York City and New Orleans Orleans and these other cities with high black populations. They had no problem with that on the Democrat side, but then they say that Republicans are racist because we're asking people to get an ID like, like, like black Americans don't have the wherewithal, like every other American to get a free ID from, from their government. That's just nonsense. All right. To hear the rest of my interview with the great Mike Davis, just check out episode 225 
at the Doc Washburn Show. The great David Limbaugh, brother of the dearly departed Rush Limbaugh, came on my show to talk about his new book, and what an honor that was. You know, your book opens with a beautiful tribute and dedication to Rush. We are so sorry for your loss. Could you please, before we start talking about the book, tell my listeners a little bit about Rush's spiritual journey and your spiritual journey? Well, I'll address mine first. I came kicking and screaming to the faith, and I, we were raised in a church, and my Christian parents, and I always believed in God. I just don't think it really registered with me, the, the God of the Bible, even though I learned all about it when I was younger. And so I had some doubts, what I thought were intellectual doubts, who knows, they may have masked other things. Uh, but I embarked on a study and I was always curious. I mean, I never doubted that God existed, but I wasn't sure that I believed in the divinity of Christ or the, or the inspiration of the Bible. And I certainly hadn't accepted Jesus as my savior. And so I, uh, I, I read apologetics all the time. I was very curious. I wanted to be on the right team. I wanted to be on the good team and I knew what was right in my heart, but I just couldn't make the, make the sale to myself early on. But I'd read, you know, evidence of the man's a verdict by Josh McDowell. Uh, and Paul little wrote some great books. He, you know, he's long since died yeah. various apologetics books. And, and they were so attractive to me, but again, I still didn't take the plunge. And so I kept doing that. And finally I went to a prayer breakfast meeting one morning and they left a, 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 a like a big prayer breakfast meeting, Christian businessmen. They left a card. If you want to learn more about Jesus, sign this. Well, I, I really didn't that much, but I felt prompted and urged to do it. So I signed it. I think that was the Holy Spirit prompting me. And so I signed it and we ended up meeting in a small group and they introduced a little book that emphasized the authority of scripture, the inspiration of scripture, the divinity of Christ, all these things, exactly the things that I had always wondered about. And it was like, as if that booklet was tailor made for me. And I shortly thereafter, I mean, within months became a Christian after studying all that stuff and, and accepted Jesus into my heart. So, and then I, after realizing the Bible was the word of God, I became very passionate about it. I, I couldn't believe I was holding in my hands a book that actually was uh, written by God through human authors. It blew me away. So I just was wanted to inhale everything I could about it, the Bible and commentaries and everything else. So the last... Um, 30 years of my life, 35 years of my life, I've been doing that. And so uh, Rush, I always said he was a believer to me when I'd ask him. Yeah. Because he, he never talked about it. And I, you know, and people would question it. Uh, and so he said he never had those kinds of doubts. Um, and I even tried to stir some in so I could, I don't mean stir doubts, but I just asked provocative questions to, to test his faith a little bit to see where he was. And, and I'd send Bible studies to him and devotionals throughout, and he always thanked me for them. And, and, but he didn't like to talk about it publicly because he, really the real reason was not that he didn't want to make it a spiritual show as much as he didn't feel like he knew enough about it to be an expert. And it wasn't the nature of his show anyway. So, yeah. Uh, but regardless of all that, in the in the last year of his life, um, after from the time he was diagnosed, 
he, I, I think, exhibited amazing courage, and, and I, I think his faith grew exponentially. Uh, and by the time he died, I mean, I don't know how anybody could have any doubt where he went. Uh, and, and his faith in, in Jesus was real, and he talked about it, and every day he thanked God for being alive, and, and, he, and he credited Christ for everything. And, so, and he, um, I don't know, I, I just, I, I think it's an example of God using evil, in this case, cancer, for good. And good, I mean drawing Rush closer to him, and in turn, Rush's witness, I think, had uh, multiplying benefits with his audience. So uh, the, that, that's the only good thing I can say about his death, that and the, and the overwhelming warmth that his audience showed, which, which is why, among other reasons, I, I dedicated the book also to his fans uh, because I so appreciate their love for him and their expressions of it to me every day, even still. Amen. If you want to hear the rest of my interview with the wonderful David Limbaugh, check out episode 239 at docwashburn.com or wherever you already get your podcasts. Now, the next story was one of the most unusual I have ever come across. The strange tale of a fellow named Raphael Rodin of Chicago. They actually linked to Raphael Rodin's tweet from Twitter. It was a video. Video from Twitter calling for the murder of white people. I immediately knew I should capture the audio to share it with you here on the Doc Washburn Show. What I did not know, what I could not know, was that that first short video that Libs of TikTok replayed on their Twitter profile from Raphael Rodin actually linked to a second short video and then a third short video. And by the time Mr. Rodin was through, he had called not just for the murder of white people in general, but specifically for the targeted assassination of Joe Biden and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, needless to say, this is alarming. The guy tweeted out the videos at approximately 11 a.m. Central Monday, and they were still up after 11 p.m. Wednesday evening. Now, plenty of people had tagged the FBI on their reactions to his tweets, but two and a half days after he put the videos up, his threats of violence against the dementia sufferer in the Oval Office and the sitting governor of Florida were still up. So I captured the audio from the three short videos. And when you put the three short videos, you combine them, you put them together, they came to about two minutes and 20 seconds, which is kind of strange because Twitter will let anybody do a video that lasts two minutes and 20 seconds. So he didn't have to chop them up into three different videos. I don't know why he did that. Anyway, that, that's, that's neither here nor there. But I spliced the three videos together so you could hear the whole thing in context. Now, he cussed a lot, and he used the N-word a lot. So, you know, I would splice out the cuss word or the N-word or whatever. I know, I know, I know. What a shock that a racist who's threatening to murder people because of the color of their skin would also have a foul mouth. 
I know I was really shocked too. So look, let me play it for you. And then we can kind of go over it. I'll share some observations with you. All right, so if you want to hear what this guy actually said and what I did about it, because this guy's just crazy, check out episode 244 of the Doc Washburn Show. Now, before we go any further, I just want to say how much we appreciate our advertisers. They make it possible for us to continue doing what we do week after week, month after month, and dare I say, now that we're into our second year, year after year. We appreciate our advertisers, and we appreciate if you would give them a shout yourself. So, more greatest hits of the Doc Washburn Show coming up straight ahead. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. Do you have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain? Vertigo? Acid reflux? Eczema? Problems with your blood sugar? Maybe even hay fever? Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. 
Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you again so much to our friends, our advertisers, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, at Arkansas Cervical Center, turnmypoweron.com. They have helped me and my wife and so many people that we know. Thank you so much to Mitch Ward, proprietor at Red River Your Way, who has helped a lot of people get in vehicles, including me. I'm deliriously happy with a car I got from Red River. All right, more greatest hits from the second half of the first year of the Doc Washburn Show. Theodore Roosevelt Malik, Ted Malik, is a pro-Trump former State Department official who was detained by the FBI at Logan International Airport. Not arrested, not charged with anything, just detained for a while. Oh, boy. He came on my show to talk about it. Yes, my wife was traveling with me. They obviously uh, separated us, took us to a separate uh, room, a very large hall, took my luggage, took everything out of my luggage, you know, made me feel like, you know, some kind of criminal. And then said, uh, we're going to escort you to a a third building, which was, uh, in fact, a skiff, uh, which is a secure uh, room uh, where they could... uh, you know, ask questions, and that whole process was interesting. I, I concluded later, now I'm trained in intelligence and in uh, foreign affairs. I've gone to the Foreign Service Institute. You know, I've had an ambassadorial job for the U.S. government. I've had top secret code word clearances, and these clowns are trying to press me. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was the whole in- you know, intent of this uh, Mueller witch hunt. And I have concluded after the fact, using uh, a person's name and translating it into a verb, that they tried to papadopolize me. Yeah, George Papadopoulos, yeah. Yeah, try to set you up. There you go. Wow. To hear the rest of the story about one man's encounter with a completely out-of-control FBI, go to episode 247 to check out the rest of my interview with Ted Malik. The next entry in our greatest hits is Clay Clark, host of the Reawakening America Tour that he's doing with uh, General Flynn and Mike Lindell, a lot of other folks. He's trying to sound the alarm about a Joe Biden executive order, which could have devastating consequences for our financial system. Well, when Joe Biden's executive order 14067 goes into effect. Everyone should write that down. Executive order one, four, zero, six, seven, which he signed in March of this year, executive order one, four, zero, six, seven. That ushers us into programmable central bank digital currencies. So in the way that you were forced off the radio because you refused to take the COVID-19 shots or in the way a lot of your listeners were forced off of social media because they posted the truth, your bank account can now be turned on or off based upon the whims of a tyrannical government. Wow. 
And so and so Biden just does this by executive order and he's already signed it. He already signed executive order one four zero six seven. And Glenn Beck uh, was one of the first uh, talk show personalities that I know that, that covered it. Yeah. He did a great job covering it. Um, Jim Rickerts, he covered it. He's a uh, former advisor to the Pentagon and Congress and the White House, Jim Rickerts. He's a lawyer and an investment specialist. Um, but then I saw Robert Kiyosaki, who, by the way, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he's now on the tour. I mean, he's one of the top-selling authors of all time. He's on the Reawaken America tour. Oh, yeah. I started seeing guys like Robert Kiyosaki talk about it. And if anybody goes to rumble.com and you listen to the thrive time show, I don't want anyone to be uh, disappointed with what you find, but I'm a heavy fact guy, you know, so I just drop facts on my show. Yeah. And I started seeing more and more people that were big names. They offer a little bit more of a personality than what I provide on my show. And they were all coming to the same conclusion. And this executive order one four zero six seven ceases to end freedom in America the way that you and I have known it. So let me give you another example. Let's say that uh, you're listening right now and you like to buy wine. Okay, you like to buy a bottle of wine. Somebody else listening out there, maybe you smoke. Somebody else, maybe you gamble. Somebody else out there, you're you're guilty of owning a boat and filling up your boat with gas. Maybe somebody else, you own a truck, and you're guilty of taking your kids to every day. If the government feels like you're exceeding your carbon footprint quota for the month, they can also turn off your money. Oh, Think boy. about that. Do you hear the rest of the story, the whole story about this very troubling Biden executive order? All you need to do is go to docwashburn.com or wherever you get your your podcast already and check out episode 249. Now, last, but certainly not least. Now, the greatest hits of the Doc Washburn show for the first year would not be complete without a clip from my recent interview with the great Cash Patel. He's the guy who helped Congressman Devin Nunes uncover the plot in which the Clinton campaign, the DNC, and the FBI were trying to tie Trump to Russia. Cash Patel also held a number of national security posts in the Trump administration. We were really excited to have the opportunity to speak with Cash Patel. And it went something like this. What do you think about Joe Biden's recent comments that we could be on the verge of a nuclear war with Russia? Well, I think it's the scariest thing a commander in chief could ever say publicly, and it can only happen in an administration such as this one, where he has chosen to politicize the national security apparatus, diminished our footing on the global diplomatic stage, and reduced American national security interests across the board, from the border to taking on Russia, China, Iran, and whatnot. And what you see is a drastic rise in the power of Putin and Xi Jinping and others, and more importantly, they just don't care anymore about America's response or what America might do like they did during President Trump because they don't respect or care about Joe Biden. And that's sad for America and tragic for our national security. I'm the guy that's always saying I'm cheering for Joe Biden to succeed on our national security mission because it is a no fail mission. But he is failing every single day on it. Well, we're in a tough position here. There's the 25th Amendment, but I don't think anybody's going to pull that. You got Kamala Harris next. If they did, uh, how do we pull back from the precipice? Millions of lives are at stake here. Well, the midterms are step one. And I think America has learned 
a very big civics lessons in the last few years that the that is the powers of the majority in Congress matters um, more than anything else in those halls because unless you're in the majority, you can't really do anything, and they can conduct investigations of oversight. They can do so like we did in the Russiagate investigation that Devin and I ran on House Intel, or they can do so with um, politically motivated investigations such as the Unselect Committee for January 6th, which is not in search of the truth, but a political target um, to take down Donald Trump. And so Americans have to get out to the polls and send Republicans in waves to both the House and the Senate so we can have oversight investigations of things that matter, i.e. Hunter Biden's laptop, the whistleblowers that are coming out showing the corruption at the FBI. Um, and we can hold government officials, i.e. Joe Biden's cabinet, accountable for their failures, Mayorkas on the border, Lloyd Austin as Secretary of Defense, for failing to protect us on the international scene and others. And that's what Congress can do. But most importantly, they can put out the documents from the government themselves that uh, expose their corruption like we did in Russiagate and so many other places. And um, that's that's just a start. Amen. Amen. Sir, when I first got to Arkansas in 2014, people would call my radio show and tell me with a sense of dread that Hillary was going to be our next president. There was nothing we could do about it. Donald Trump really was not supposed to win in 2016, was he? No, they then they overlooked it, and uh, not even overlooked it. They just said that is never going to happen. It's not a possibility. But just in case, they orchestrated the Russiagate conspiracy to yeah. keep him out of office as a backup plan. These people don't take chances. They, they being the DNC and Hillary Clinton campaign went out and hired a foreign asset and Christopher Steele and hijacked the law enforcement agency to uh, the FBI and lied to a federal court to unlawfully surveil president Trump. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about or haven't seen it or believe it, you've got to get up to speed on the, on that. And you can do so by watching the plot against the president, or you can do so by checking out my new children's books, the plot against the King series, which summarize this entire saga for you and your kids in 20 short minutes. And again, you mentioned the, uh, the documentary, the plot against the president, that people definitely need to watch, right? Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Amanda Milius made that 90-minute documentary. If you have 90 minutes this weekend, I'm actually asking you to go and watch that because all things come back to Russiagate. The same corrupt government gangsters that ran that, the Comey McCabe acolytes are also now the names you see who mishandled or broke for law when it came to Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, came to Hillary Clinton's email investigation, the same people, just Strzok and Auden and Tybalt and all this stuff. You know, you got to watch the plot against the president um, immediately. You can go online, you can go on Amazon, you can watch the plot against the president. That's Cash Patel. It was such an honor to have him on as a guest. If you want to hear more, you want to hear the rest of the interview, it's episode number 254. Now, he broke some news that day on the show, which is he has a new book coming out for pre-release here in a few weeks. So we certainly hope to have him back on the program soon. Um, and, and I hear uh, my producer has talked to his uh, scheduler, and uh, he told his scheduler, hey, that went real well. Love to be back on. So looking forward to that. Okay, now it's about time to say hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom 
to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. All right, now, we, we, we talk about so much heavy stuff that when I come across something funny, I, I, I want to share it with you. Today's tweet of the day is from, a, uh, from the Twitter profile for something called the Globalist American Empire. And they had a young lady who was interviewing other young ladies at Arizona State University and asking them how much money would a guy need to make in salary for you to consider marrying him? What, uh, and, and, and some of the women who responded had, uh, you know, pretty good ideas, and some of them understood nothing about math. One, one young lady said, oh, I think uh, three figures. Three figures. That's going to be less than $1,000 a year. Well, interesting, different. I don't think she really understood. Anyway, uh, it's kind of fun, so I hope you enjoy it. I should make per year? Um, depends where they live. I mean, if I'm, like, dating them, it'd be nice if they were at least making 100000 Um, I have no clue. Like a million? Two million? Okay. <laughs> we're at ASU, you know, so you're not going to find them here. <laughs> like, fully, like, adult. Someone that you would consider wanting to be with the rest of your life. 300K. Three figures. Okay. So, why is that? Just because, like, that's a stable income, I'd say. 100? Like, 500 grand? Is that a lot? No, that's... Uh, 500 is... Like, normal? On a good day, yeah. I mean, it depends. Okay. Uh, a lot were expensive. Yeah. Mills. Millions. Oh, mills. Okay. I don't really care. I think, I mean, I like when guys like pay for dates and stuff. So if a guy made 30K a year, is that something you're okay with? Yeah, I think that would be great. Like your husband? Oh, husband. Yeah, I think I would be fine. If it was my husband, I'd be in love with him. So yeah. I wouldn't really say I would have a price on that. I mean, as long as they treat me respectfully. Minimum six figures, no matter what the situation is. Right. We have an expensive lifestyle. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally understand. We got to get good skincare routine. You know, the whole whole nine yards. A hundred thousand. Twenty k. Eighty k, and like maybe like one twenty. Yeah, I would say like 80 to 150. Over 100K. Once you get to a certain age, like, I don't know. I'm also kind of like a gold digger, so. No, um, I'm planning on just like supporting myself um, with my income. So I don't really plan on being supported by the person that I'm dating. What is the lowest you would go, though? Um, 500,000. I could have a, like a, a nice, like, subtle life with like a 200,000 a year. Like, okay. Normal, great, yeah. What's the lowest, though, that you would go for? Um, I don't think money is something. Uh, maybe like a... Uh, it has to be. You just said one or two mil. Would you be down for 80? Yeah, 80, 60. That'd be fine. <laughs> Bless their hearts, they don't know. They just don't know. Bless their hearts. I just, I don't know. It just kind of struck me as being amusing.
Anyway, that having been said, <laughs> you've been listening to episode 260 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's been uh, the last two episodes in a row were kind of the best of since it's our first anniversary. On our next episode, we get back to all breaking news. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Friday, October 14th, 2022.